This is the Coach Brew Show. This is also the world's shortest podcast intro. Welcome everybody to the Coach Brew Podcast. Uh, another special episode. We are on a roll, and I am bringing you today a very special guest, um, a friend, a colleague, uh, someone who I think is a visionary leader. And I know you guys enjoy interviews way more than just hearing from me because, well, you tell me that. So uh, Ryan Vaughn, who is the president and CEO of the Real Super Mercedes family of brands, uh, they are boot makers, and he will not disappoint. He is, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I respect and admire Ryan for a couple of reasons. I think he has a great deal of emotional intelligence. Uh, he is a visionary leader, and uh, it's just you marry that uh, emotion, like that EQ, with a lot of just common sense. And these are two of the things that we're going to talk about today. Two things that um, Ryan and his team do uh, very, very well. That I think uh, you're going to want to steal a page from his playbook after you listen to this one. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it is still so cold up here that like I'm seriously contemplating putting my Christmas tree back up. It's been raining for like 72 hours straight. So I want you to make everyone in the Northeast jealous by giving us the weather report in Mercedes, Texas today. <laughs> well, uh, it, I'm, I'm sleeved up. Uh, yeah, I got the straw on. So that's one thing you can tell. Uh, we did have a little a little snap come through. Uh, they got it down into the high 70s, low 80s. But yeah, it's, uh, we're we're probably touching 90 degrees today and had a beautiful weekend. But uh, it's uh, there there is a magical time to be down in South Texas, and it's about October through April, and uh, that's when we get a lot of the winter visitors that come down and live. And so we're in that uh, spring transition to summer. I was actually looked up of when summer. When summer actually starts is the end of June, but our summer starts about mid-May, so uh, it's hard to call it spring, but uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, That's when it hits triple digits? What's that? That's when it hits triple digits? You know, we actually don't hit triple digits down here that much, oddly enough. That's a little... Because we get that... We were right on, on the coast. We get a nice gold breeze that just gets hot and humid. And so, yeah, you get up to Dallas and Houston, and they get the triple digits at kind of drier heat. Uh, not yeah. Houston, but uh, yeah, so it's uh, well that that breeze kind of keeps us cooled down. So, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's nice down here right now. And you were you were down here not that long ago, so you you know, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah. Send us some of that weather, man. We've been getting some good rain, so it is green and lush. The mesquite trees are in full force, and uh, yeah, uh, grass is growing and sugar canes popping. So uh, lots of good stuff. Onions are coming out of the field. Ten fifteen sweet onions. So. Uh, it's a fertile, fertile time, and nice to be seeing that going. Well, in Maine, at the time of this recording, it is mud season. We enjoy, you'll be happy to know, if you're not familiar, if you're listening to this and you're not familiar with the weather in northern New England, you will be happy to know we get all four seasons. We get deer season, winter, April mud season, and May black fly season. The black fly, I think, is the state bird here in Maine. And then we have this thing that takes place for like one week in late July they call summer. And those are our four seasons, Ryan. 
So well, you wonder why I want to move to Texas. <laughs> come on down. Just... Yeah. So uh, for people who aren't familiar with the name Ryan Vaughn, uh, shame on you. You should have bought my book, Stadium Status, and read the thing, and you would know exactly who Ryan Vaughn is. Um, one unique fact about Ryan, I think this is a great jumping off point. Uh, now that I've just shamed everybody who hasn't bought in the book you're featured in, is um, you're a Red Sox fan in South, South Texas. Like you can't get any further South in Texas than where you are. And you're a Boston Red Sox fan. So let's just start there. Explain that, please. Well, I guess like all my listeners up here, you're really going to win over and very much ingratiate yourself with them. Well, there, there's there's two numbers that drew me to that. And the number is 21, two and one. Roger, the Rocket Clemens, uh, went, went up there to go pitch. And uh, he was my boyhood idol, went to the University of Texas. In fact, I was watching the Sunday night baseball game last night. It was the Astros versus the Phillies, little rematch. And his boy is playing for the Phillies. Yep. And, he, and he was on ESPN, too, uh, talking with A-Rod. And anyway, it was, it was neat to see him talking through his boy's progress. And, and uh, he went to UT as well. And anyway, so... Yeah, Roger Clemens, I wore 21 all through uh, uh, high school. I was a right-handed pitcher. I thought I had that same look and, and feel. So, yeah. And, and then, you know, once once he got up there and I started following a little bit more, of course, they made the run of uh, Big Poppy and, and Johnny, uh, Johnny Damon, not Johnny Damon. Uh, yeah, Johnny Damon. Yeah, Johnny yeah. Damon. And, um, and, and that whole group. And so, yeah, and then my wife and I, when we took off on our honeymoon, we did a baseball stadium tour all up the East Coast. She wanted to go sightseeing uh, East Coast, and I'm not much of a sightseeing guy. And so she turned it around and turned it into a baseball stadium tour. And so like we sightseeing. That's stadium status sightseeing. I'm telling you, it made, made me a believer. We caught uh, 15, uh, 15 stadiums, only 14 games. The Braves were uh, the Braves were out of town when we went through there, which is actually my dad played in the Braves organization. And so the Braves were my team growing up. Sure. Uh, and uh, then the Red Sox for my American League team. But uh, anyway, we caught a day game uh, at Fenway and sitting out in the outfield bleachers and pulled me a shirt off. And the only thing I was really frustrated was they wouldn't serve me a cold beer because I was 22 years old or whatever it was, 22, yeah, 22 and a Texas ID. Apparently, wow. you got to be 25 or something like that. And I was like, what? I That's like ridiculous. This. So a little frustrated about that, but I've been back a couple of times since, and yeah, I really uh, enjoy Fenway and, uh, and and the Red Sox, and 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 the fan base is just uh, very fervent and wild. It's a it's an exciting time. I actually, caught a couple of Red Sox to Yankees, uh, and not not where you want to take your teenage daughter to. Oh um, uh, no, <laughs> vocabulary lessons. <laughs> So how did you feel about Clemens going to the Yankees? That must have been a little weird, right? Yeah, that was. I, I think I had already kind of, uh, I guess I, maybe I graduated past the point of, not to say that I wasn't a fan of his, but wasn't in that high school baseball craze and things. So I, I think it had already, uh, it didn't hurt my feelings too bad. I think it had it already gone too. I think I think there was already some, uh, so I lost, anyway, the Yankees and their evil empire just kind of always pick yeah. up people in the house. So. I don't remember being too heartbroken about it. We picked up Johnny Damon too. No, yeah, that's just what they do. They uh, 
Well, now they fit. What is this? Fishing dead waters? Is that uh, the term, right? But uh, so we're talking like stadium tours. And really what I want to talk about is sort of related to stadium tours. It's a little thing called a listening tour. But before we can dive into what your listening tours are and what they entail, um, if you could tell us, um, for those who don't know, um, tell us what the Rios family, Rios of Mercedes family of brands uh, is and encompasses. And um, so I say that as uh, your official, unofficial freelance celebrity spokesperson for one of the brands within your family of brands, Anderson Bean Cowboy Boots. So I'll let you take it from there. I mean, that's, I think that is my unofficial title I've given myself. Is that fair? I'll, I'll see if we can get some cards made out for you, some business Perfect. Cards. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we make cowboy boots, and um, and the Rios uh, of Mercedes was our kind of a, the patriarch company, uh, started by the Rios family in 1853 down in Henan, Mexico. Uh, they came up to the border right around the time of uh, uh, settling this area where we had uh, the uh, U.S. military come down here to kind of protect and keep things safe from all the banditos and crew out of Mexico. And that's when a lot of development started happening. And we started getting a lot of the folks from the Midwest and the North coming down to the Valley, fertile soil, plenty of the Rio Grande River runs just along here. And a lot of farms and crops and, and vegetables were growing down here. And so the Rios family moved over to Mercedes to try to take advantage of all this money that was coming in to build them uh, cowboy boots. And so it's the Rios family in the city of Mercedes. One of the brothers, Abram, uh, went up to Raymondville. And so there was Rios of Raymondville, which focused on the, the cattle guys, a little bit more of the ranch country. And uh, Zeferino Rios focused a little bit more on the, the fancy dress them up uh, town boots. Um, and so uh, fast forward, uh, they focused on custom boots for many, many years, made a lot of boots for famous people and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, my father-in-law and his dad, um, through a long series of events, uh, came down uh, to run the factories uh, for a group of oil and gas investors that bought it from Zeferino. Ended up purchasing the company in the mid-70s, and it's been family-owned since. Uh, in you, the had, 80s, um, you had said some, they made boots for some famous people. Now, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it John Wayne or Anderson being the Lone Star boots during the Battle of the Alamo? I, you got me there. I, <laughs> I, I, I think that was all a, a part of it. Yeah, I'll. Uh, okay. I'll, you know, I, <laughs> maybe a little blurry on the facts there. No. Uh, you know, I, I make it up as I go, but that sure sounded good to me. I, 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 I think that's great. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll we'll let you quote yourself on that one. But, uh, uh, but, but yes, they started. Fact the check Anderson, me. Anderson Bean brand has started in the 80s. Uh, to try to create a more moderate price boot. So the Rios was pretty high end. Uh, There's a big market. And so they actually named it for a trainer, Evans, my father-in-law, his mom and grandmother, Helen Anderson and Macy Bean. They were longtime ranch women that felt like never got the credit they deserved. They uh, fourth, fifth generation uh, ranching families over West Texas, New Mexico border. And uh, so he named it after the ladies uh, to try to uh, bring a little bit of recognition to them. Uh, and uh, then um, we I'm wearing a women's boot. Name for name for tough old broads. <laughs> you, probably, 
probably wouldn't want to catch those those gals on the in a in a back pasture and in, in the dark that's for sure so um then uh so we build those two boots here and then we bought the olathe boot company out of olathe kansas that has roots to hire boot company that started in 1875 and so olathe and anderson bean are made here in this factory i'm pointing because i'm looking down at the factory and then rios is right next door and then uh, we make a kid's boot line down in Mexico. And then in two, mid 2005, we started a brand called Horsepower and another yep. brand called Macy Bean. And that's our more price point boot lines. And those are made uh, down in Leon, Guanajuato in Mexico. And so we bring those up, we sell them. We only do wholesale, no retail, no direct to consumer. We work through our wholesale partners. And so we've got the five brands uh, that is the family of brands. Sure. And Olathe, if I'm not mistaken, is the oldest boot company in the United States. Or like the oldest continually operating. Like what? Yeah, there, there's a little bit of a little bit of gray area there because it was the higher boot company made in Olathe, Kansas. Okay. And so they were all the cowboys would say, you're gonna go out to Olathe and get your get your boots. And so it kind of transitioned to just being called. Oh, yeah, go get your old lathe of boots. And gotcha. so the, the higher boot company sold to uh, a company out of El Paso in the 70s and left all of the stuff there. And the employees ended up starting back the factory and calling it old lathe of boot company. So, That's some cool history and heritage there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but then there's, you know, brands like Justin and Tony Lama and then Luke Casey that have very deep roots. So, there's there's a lot of big heritage brands in our industry. Uh, I uh, do you want me to edit out all their names so we don't mention the competition? Hey, competition, <laughs> competition is good. We like competition. In fact, that's is better. And we need we need our retail partners having good brands in their stores. I mean, you don't want to walk into a, a Western store and just see nothing but private labels and no brands in their store. I mean, that's yep. kind of like going into a a department store not seeing polo and Tommy Hilfiger and Le Bouton shoes. I mean, you need good brands. I mean, you need, sure. you need that in your industry. So no, I'm, I'm I, I can, I can appreciate the other brands that, uh, that are, that are making footwear. Don't worry. And I think that's one of the things I love about Ryan, everybody is uh, he really does believe uh, rising tide raises all ships. And yeah, it's something I've always bought into that like, you know, good speaking, you know, if a company brings in another speaker other than me, like good speaking begets more good speaking. You don't want people to have a bad experience with somebody or something, you know, in your industry or in your market. You want them to have good experiences. And um, so, you know, you deal exclusively through retailers. Retailers often carry these other competitors in their stores. Um which this is a nice segue. I don't know if you did this on purpose, Ryan, but this is a nice segue into how you elevate and separate yourself from that competition, uh, just through like the personal attention that you give. Uh, and also as part of that, um, uh, your listening tour. So I'd love to dive into that. And then uh, we can kind of unpack how you make sure everything uh, stays very unique for your individual retailers. If you could tell us just a little bit about uh, the listening tour and how that, you know, what was the genesis of, of that? And 
you know, just how you've uh, reaped the benefits from it. Yeah, um, and and uh, and I, I I greatly appreciate your your making this time for it. And and yeah, the the um, it, it's a it's a, a an interesting thing. We sometimes we think we're smarter than we are. Um, and and when you start looking back, whenever you came down to write that that piece on the book, I hadn't really thought about it before because I don't think I'm a very good listener, John. I, I really don't like I. A lot of times I'm I'm trying to think where we need to be and how, and especially in a conversation with a retailer is what are they going to ask me next? What do I need to show them to have the right product mix? And so I, it kind of caught me by surprise whenever we were talking through that. And he said, wow, you, you, you really have gotten to where this is because you listen to your retailers and said, yeah, I, I, I guess it kind of is. And it wasn't so much a declared that it was, uh, we have a team of sales reps that travel the country. And so our sales reps are our, you know, front and center representatives in the stores. And so the core of our business is they walk in with samples and swatches and let the retailer design boots exactly that they want for their store. And they'll order seven, eight, nine, 10, 15, 20, 30, yep. 50 pairs that are specific for them. And so they can take a lot of pride in the uniqueness and things. Well, that's great. And they get that partnership with the sales rep, but the sales rep also carries hats, also carries saddles, also carries tack, also carries uh, jeans and shirts. And so they got a lot going on. And so there may be a lot in that interaction and that partnership that maybe doesn't get conveyed to me, to the factory and in, in implementing changes and what's what they're asking for, what sales they missed and things. And so one of the things that we really started doing was going to our top retailers and spending a weekend with them. And, and we do these things called trunk shows, uh, but yep. our trunk show is more than just like, hey, you can come by these things. I mean, it's a very involved uh, two, three day process where they invite their top customers in to come and design boots and, and do the uniqueness. But what we get is that we get that feedback of what leathers are they looking for? What toe profiles are, are we missing? Um, what com what color combinations are really hot? What let you know people? It's always funny. We work with a couple of big brands, and you know they're projecting uh, color shades for fall 2024. And I mean, like, man, I don't know what's going to be like next week. And yeah. so it's 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 you really get a lot more interaction whenever you're seeing and even just watching what your end users are wearing, uh, seeing the different trends working, especially when you get out to some of these college towns like Lubbock's a great one. Uh, Texas Tech. I mean, a lot of kids come from all over the South, all, all over the country, but especially our core areas. We kind of have what I call the, the golden triangle, which is Oklahoma City, Fort Worth, Amarillo. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's very odd to say, but that's where trends in our industry are driven. And it's, wow. it's because, and you know this from some of the hat makers you've been talking to, the J.W. Brooks and, and uh, the Biggers uh, is the people who go into those stores and in those customs, they get exactly what they want. You got a couple of custom hats on order right now, don't you? Yes. You got exactly what you wanted. Yep. You walk into a regular store, you're going to buy what they have in stock. Yep. And so it's the same. And that's way. all they're going to sell. That's all they're going to try and sell you. Right. What do and I need to tell this guy to get him to, to buy so I can unload my inventory I have? And that may have been what the cool guys were wearing a year or two ago. That's it's made it all the way to the mm -hmm. retail store, but the custom guys are going and getting the things that they can't find in the other stores. Yeah. And that's what ends up driving it. 
And so like there's a great event. In fact, you'd, you'd really get a kick at it if it's the Working Ranch Cowboy Association finals in Amarillo, Texas. And I mean, and these are the punchiest of the punchiest cowboys. I mean, they they come right off the ranch. And I mean, and it's it's a it's a ranch rodeo, but it's fun. But nice. you watch, and there's a whole uh, there's a whole exhibit hall full of handcrafted custom stuff. I mean, bits and spurs and saddles and jewelry and saddle blankets and boots and hats. I mean, and it's it's the cool stuff. And those guys will save the money to get the good cool stuff. Yep. And so. The more you listen and learn and go out to West Texas, go out to Amarillo, go to Oklahoma City. I mean, I was just in Fort Worth five days ago for the uh, team roping, United States team roping championship finals uh, and went and visited retailers. You just have to listen and you can't be bigger than you think you are. And I think that's the thing is we're such a small uh, blip in the boot making world in the big picture is we need our retailers more than they need us. And yeah. there's a lot of companies that have take that opposite approach. And I think they look, kind of lose focus on who's most important. So for people listening and who are thinking like, this is a really obscure subject matter. It's very niche. You're talking about like custom cowboy boots. You're talking about the Western industry. Like this has nothing to do with me. I'm a suit or, you know, I'm a real estate agent. I sell insurance. It actually has everything to do with you. And there are just so many parallels because sales is all about listening. Um, it's about understanding what people want. You can't sell them what you want to sell them. You have to sell them what they want or need. And, you know, it, it's fascinating that we can extract these takeaways from something that is this niche and this unique. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. I would encourage everyone who's listening to figure out what your golden triangle is for your industry, for your company, you know, who uh, within that geographic footprint um, is driving the trends in terms of your market, your industry, and what you have to sell, and how are you listening to them? Like, that's, that's a big immediate takeaway for everyone listening, thinking cowboy boots have nothing to do with me. Well, maybe they don't. You're just not, not yet. You're not enlightened enough yet, maybe, to own a pair of custom cowboy boots. We'll get you there, right? But, um, it, you know, it's about creating your own version of the listening tour. And it's fascinating, Ryan. That book came out in 2017. And you are one of two companies that I know in the, the six years since it's been out. One of only two that does anything remotely like a listening tour. And the other company is my friend Derek Volk's company, Volk Packaging. They, uh, so it's a very sexy industry. They sell corrugated cardboard. <laughs> but what they do is they do their own variation of what you do, and they do a thank you tour. They don't send a sales rep. They send the owner of the company to each of their customers, and he just goes up in the summertime and just plots a route and and goes you know from customer to customer and stops in spends a little bit of time in the morning maybe has coffee maybe has lunch you know walks around their plant and gets a chance to see their operation and just wanted to come in schedule an appointment with you just to say thank you he's not there to sell him anything he's not there to upsell him anything or cross sell him anything or tell him the prices are going up he's not there to do anything other than say thank you 
And then he asks one question, how can we serve you better next year? And then he shuts up and he lets them tell him, here's how your people can serve us better. And I think that's some of the wizardry and the magic of what you guys do too, is like, it's not a salesperson going on a listening tour who's worried about making a quota, who maybe represents other products. It's people, you know, who have their radar on and their antennas up listening for specific feedback and opportunities, right? Exactly. Yeah, no, I like that. Thank you. Thank you, Tori. That's, and I, and I think that's, I think that's the thing is sometimes we don't realize where that inspiration or where that, um, that creativity, you don't know where it's going to come from. And I think if you're, if you're isolated to being around, um, you know, where you think it's going to come from, which, you know, in, in, in the fashion world is, you know, kids that are coming out of college with design degrees or, or with, you know, great fashion and marketing sense and things is, some, I mean, just like our, we, we have some really smart people in our industry that are trying to drive the trends, but it's the sure enough cowboys that are doing it. And, and who are the cowboys in your industry? And when I say cowboys, the ones that are doing it differently. And yeah. I mean, I, I think that's where you get into these serial entrepreneurs that are always looking, how can I do this, but do it differently and do it better? And I, and, and I, I think every, every industry's got that. And it's, are you going and identifying them? And I think the other thing is, are you, are you the real deal? I mean, are they going to talk to you? And are, are you going to, I mean, it's one thing for you to show up and say, hey, tell me what uh, toes and heels are selling or tell me what kind of hat styles are selling. And I go, Who's this guy? So, I mean, being in it and being being the real deal, I mean, I, I think that, that goes a long way, especially in the Western industry, but probably in just about industries. And, and, and one of the, I think one of the unique things about your industry is um, it's about, quality as much as it is even more than it is about appearance fashion color because you know i would and i would say the parallel is also with cowboy hats you know people will spend a lot of money on a pair of custom boots or a custom hat because it is a piece of equipment it is a tool that helps them perform their craft better they're not going to skimp on the quality of their tools. A mechanic, you know, an auto mechanic isn't going to go to Walmart and buy cheap wrenches. He's going to buy the best that his budget could possibly allow because it will make him a better at his craft and more efficient. And yeah, so. Yeah, I think that's exactly what, what the budget will allow. I think, I mean, that's the thing is like the boots that we build out of Mexico. In fact, I'm, I'm wearing a pair right now. I'm our, we're 14 months out on delivery in our domestic stuff. So I'm not even stopping to make boots for myself, uh, but it's a darn good boot for the money. I mean, it's a good value proposition and not everybody needs a $700 pair of cowboy boots. Not everybody needs a $300 pair of cowboy boots. Some people are good with 180, $200 pair, you know, dollar cowboy boots. And, but it's what you're going to wear them for and what kind of tools you need from it. But um, you know, and I think that's, and I'm sure this is, I, I was just told this at a pretty young age in my career, because I spent, you know, 14 years in, uh, in production and purchasing and day in day operations. I didn't, I wasn't raised in the sales side of things. And I moved over to that after some time to take over for uh, Pat Moody, who was a longtime uh, sales manager and partner in the company. But a, a retailer of ours taught me the, the four tenets of selling, and it was sell yourself. 
And I think that's that's one of the big things that if you don't trust me, you're not going to listen to a word I say after that. And so building that trust up is a big deal, which is, you know, for the most part, our sales reps position. But having that trust, especially I think in the Western industry, is there's a there's a, a lot that goes along with a good handshake and doing what you yep. say you're going to do. And, and then it's sell the house. And so thankfully, the house that we've got is very well established, has been a lot of years behind it. Mr. Pat, Mr. Trainer have done a great job for years of, of a good, good, um, a good foundation that's been laid in our industry. So that was a pretty easy one. And then you sell the product. And thanks be to God, we've got a really good product with, with that we build the guts. We, we, you know, we really focus on the interior of it. And if you do those last three things, the last thing you're going to have to sell on is the price. They won't even ask that. And so yeah. I think that's that's where you go in in the Western industry, especially is honesty and hard work, integrity, the, the brand, the company is going to back it and good quality product. They don't even care about the price. And so and so that's that it's really it brings you a lot of. Uh, a lot of, uh, I hate to say good feelings, but it, it, it brings security whenever you know you've got those things backing you. And it's not all about yeah. $169.99. And I can get you a, a discount code and free shipping and free freight. Our retailers don't have to live in that world with our product. Yep. And, and that's a really nice thing we can provide them. And, and uh, kind of build off of that, I think something that the Rios or Mercedes family brands does it's very smart and I encourage all my coaching clients to do this and I'm encouraging everyone listening to do this you know whether it's a product or a suite of products that you have or services you know I kind of look at you know your different boots your different brands as sort of like like when I craft a proposal for a prospective client there's good better and best scenarios now best is going to be a little more expensive that's going to be the higher end of the budget and there's good, and then in between is kind of that that midpoint. So Rios is you know the uh, the top brand, then Anderson Bean, and so you have that good, better, best price structure there for people who are trying to work within their budget to get quality tools, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. And if you're not doing that, you're listening to this, and you're not doing that, you should be doing that immediately. Um, Ryan, what are uh, some of the things that stand out in your mind, uh, just kind of like that that your people have brought back, or maybe you've brought back uh, to the business from a listening tour uh, that you've learned and implemented, uh, just from listening to the retailer, and you've been able to serve them better, or maybe it's become a best practice that you've incorporated, you know, across the company with all your retailers. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the first things that, that crosses my mind is, is the um, the passion that our retailers have for us not competing directly with them. Uh, and I, and that, I, I used to think that that was um, um, something that was going to get overlooked. I, whenever, whenever some of the brands around us started going direct to consumer, they were so big that our retailers had to have them in their stores. Yeah, it was that they needed them more than we need, you know, and then it's like, damned so, if you do, damned if you don't, we got to carry you. But we're also going to resent the fact that you've kind of declared war on us. Yeah, exactly. And, and so it, I, I thought when that happened, great, here comes the retailers, they're going to be knocking down our door for orders. And, and 
what I realized was is that that we had to really separate ourselves as a strong, strong partner and coming back and and creating unique opportunities for each of our retailers to have something different and something unique. So listening to what their unique needs were. And then whenever I'm on the, you know, in the purchasing meetings and meeting with leather suppliers, I can remember uh, that Davis Western Trading, uh, who works with the cutting horse industry, she needed really nice, heavy top leathers because these guys have 16 inch tops. They've yep. got their caps on them. They're riding day in, day out. And so I bring a leather line specific to that cutting horse industry. And she's like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Linda Davis just, I, I just earn a lot more of a partnership with her because I'm giving her what, her, what, what she's needing as opposed to dictating, hey, these are the cool leathers for the, for the year, but really crafting something. And you can't do that for everybody, but you can pinpoint those specific um, groups of retailers that need a, a higher end fashion, you know, a, a different exotic experience doing some more black cherries and higher end uh, sure. finishes and dresses. There's a, a group of me will go to like the Pinto Ranch in Houston and Dallas. Uh, I mean, that's a very different customer than the cutting horse industry. And then we've got a really strong following in, in Japan. Uh, and so that's a whole different type of booth. That Which is fascinating to me in and of itself. It, it is. It really is unique and different. And so they want heritage. They want like four ween tan leathers, which is a Chicago tannery. That's so identifying those things that really separate you from the crowd with that retailer group and then the customer base. And so if, if I can own my position in their store in one thing, then guess what? They want to partner with me in the things that aren't so unique and different. And so like, I mean, I've got a boot out of Mexico that's just a black full quill ostrich boot that is, there's six other people that are making the same boot as me. Now, hold on. Now, I don't have a niche there, but the niche is you want to do business with me. And yep. with our company, and not just me, but I mean our company, because we are good partners. And so when I don't have a niche, I need to be the niche. I don't deal direct with you. I'm going to be a strong partner with you. I'm not going to have that boot in every door of every Western store or every farm and ranch store, or every tractor supply. And so that was what I, I used to kind of struggle with is I wanted to make sure that whatever we were doing with whatever brand that I can say I was the very best at it. Yeah, But whenever you get into more of a commodity world, you can't be the best at the commodities anymore. And so you have to figure out what the niche is. And all of a sudden, it's our company and our family of brands. And so that's when we really started to embrace uh, this is the family. Do you want to do business with our family? Because we were very, Trainer and Pat were very strategic about don't mix quality from Rios to Anderson Bean and Anderson Bean to Olathe and Olathe to Horsepower very clear in their quality and in their branding and and so we didn't we didn't tell a lot of that that oh we are a family but the more that we started realizing that that's a niche in itself is when we really started embracing that and hearing that yeah. from our retailers so that was a probably more long-winded answer i get really excited when i start talking about our companies and the things that we're doing we got a lot of a lot of good stuff but a lot to learn too so no, and you talk about a family of brands and it is a family business that has heritage and a rich history like it's also relatable to, you know, a lot of your retailers, you know, who are mom and pop operations, a small family business that grew into a couple of different locations. So that makes it super relatable. I think big takeaway, you know, here for everyone is like, it's about building goodwill and creating social equity. And that starts with, you know, being honest and 
and uh, selling yourself, as Ryan said. Um, what is, uh, what's the strategy behind you, you send tech reps on the listening tour? Break that down a little bit for us and explain sort of what a tech rep is and why it's yeah. not a person. So, so we've got a team of tech reps that, in fact, we just, just hired on another one. Uh, and so their, their main task is, is being on the floor uh, during a normal work week or during a show or an event, uh, obviously selling product, but whenever, especially if you're in a, in a store experience, a lot of times if, if the owner uh, walks into a store or a sales rep walks into a store, you're only going to get what they want you to hear. Yeah. And you're not hearing the full experience of maybe the bad stuff that they're not talking about. And not to say that I don't get the bag a lot of the time, but you spend more time on the floor and, and what other brands are doing better than yours? Uh, what comfort features another brand has? And so you just, you really listen and learn and you get a lot more of that from, from the staff on the floor of that retailer than maybe the boot buyer or maybe the store owner. And so the tech reps really feed a lot more um, real information in, in good or bad. And so um, um, I, I'd say that's, that's probably a, a little bit more honesty uh, is what you get yeah. to hear. Um, because a lot of times when people, oh, I love Anderson Bean boots. Oh, they're the greatest. Yeah, you walk away and they go, but the insoles suck. And I had to change mine out, you know, because they rolled up right at, you know, five days after I wore them. Oh, okay. Well, they didn't, they didn't want to tell me that, but they'll tell, yeah. you know, Haley that. So um, anyway, get a little more honest. One of the, the greatest questions, and you shared this with me uh, uh, in the book. And if you want all the questions, there's a list of them in the book. You can go to uh, stadiumstatusbook.com, pick up copy. But um, one of the questions I thought was brilliant, one of your tech reps asked was, uh, what is something that the competition is doing you wish we were? Um, and that I just thought was really uh, revealing. Like, because everyone, like you said, everyone wants to hear the positive, but like, you know, we learn more from uh, defeat than we do victory, yeah. you know? So like, where are we getting beat? What are we getting beat on that we don't know about that you, Mr. and Miss Retailer, do know? So we can go fix it or we can get better at it. Like, I just thought that was just straight up genius. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, you could take credit. Hey, that was me, John. Or like, I don't know who the tech rep was, but I remember you sharing that okay. with me. I'm like, that is, that's brilliant. Well, and and that's why it's it very thought provoking to me. Like I was thinking, of what the, you know, I thought you were asking me for an answer because I've got no. one. But but no, I, I think I think that's I think that's part of being the small guy is you realize the big guys are much better at things than we are. <laughs> and I mean, I've got three or four things that I wish I could do better. Um, that that these guys whip our rear ends at and uh, that comes with big overhead and having a big budget and having a you know a publicly owned trading company you know traded company behind you that can you can go invest in a lot of technology and systems and operations so um but yeah i'd love a really good b2b site you know our our software and technology i think is probably far behind uh some of that in our of our competitors and um, and it makes makes doing business with us a little bit more challenging than it does with them. So, yeah. yeah I just thought that was uh, just there's a lot of wisdom in that. And it's a difficult question for someone to ask. 
It's yeah. especially a difficult question for a young person to ask because you're going to hear the truth. I mean, like, that's something I really do respect about business, small business owners. Like, they're going to tell you the truth, you know, because how you operate and how you service that account affects their bottom line, you know. So they're going to be very forthcoming with that information. Well, it's uh, kind of like the shirt you're wearing, right? You, you can't take it, take it on the chin and go keep yep. going. I mean, you're probably not in the right business. I mean, you, exactly. you're, you're going to take them left and right, whether you want them or not, whether you ask. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's better just to ask and get it over with instead of waiting for the big, the big knockout punch. But uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I think people are more polite about it in Texas and the South. You know, I heard once uh, a guy asked his wife on their anniversary, uh, if you had it to do all over again, sweetie, would you marry me? And she said, and this is the difference between a woman from Texas and one from the Northeast. She's like, do this, put myself through this again. Are you out of your mind? Now, a woman from Texas, if you asked her, honey, you know, um, if you had it to do all over again, would you marry me? Again, she would say, well, bless your heart. <laughs> and that also means, are you out of your mind? I wouldn't subject myself to this again. Yeah. So like there's a level of civility and politeness down there that you probably don't get in like, let's say New York or New Jersey or Boston. But uh, yeah, now it's being willing to listen to the truth and take feedback and then go do something about it. So as you're listening to this, I hope you are thinking about how you can create a listening tour for your business. And, you know, people are going to push back on this, Ryan, because it takes time and it takes resources. And they're going to say, oh, I'm too busy. We're always busy. And that's bunk. That is horse manure. Um, there are busy seasons and there's downtimes in every industry. If you look carefully enough, you'll figure out in your industry and in your business when things are a little slower. You know, like in retail, their, their, their Super Bowl is Black Friday until after New Year's. And then there's some downtime. Um, but I think it's important during that downtime, that's when you invest in, you know, traveling to do a listening tour. And it's something, fun fact, the Red Sox did uh, for many years. Their front office would go travel to, you know, their minor league affiliate markets and all over uh, New England and just hold kind of town hall meetings. I would say it was a version of a listening tour. And they'd ask their fan base, hey, what would you like to see differently? Uh, what'd you like? What didn't you like? How can we better serve you? And that's where they got the idea to freeze ticket prices one year, gluten-free menu options, a host of other ideas. You know, I think those uh, listening tours probably went better when they're traveling, you know, with a nice big World Series trophy from that year that the fans could take pictures with while they were there. Uh, that's just a hunch, though. But, yeah, I mean, and the interesting thing is they would do that after the season's over. And it's actually when the front office of a major league baseball team is at their busiest because they're planning and strategizing for the next year contracts, all of that, like all of that takes place at the end of the season. And they found the time to have that listening tour and go, go meet their customers face to face. Uh, because like, you're not going to get the same information. Uh, if you emailed them a survey, are you Ryan? 
Yeah, not even close, right? They might not, not, yeah, a lot of times you don't even know if you're asking the right questions. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's they might not even respond. Yeah. So, what, uh, what really struck me shifting gears a little bit from the listening tour, uh, to my last visit with you down there, uh, I got to. I, I got to take a tour of the entire operation. I got to see where all the stitching was done, uh, where the uh, lemon wood pegs were nailed into the soles of the boots, all the different workstations. Uh, I was like a kid in a candy store because, uh, well, my name is John Brubaker and I have a cowboy boot problem. I like them entirely too much. Like they had to... Uh, extract me out of there at one point uh but it was just fascinating to see and then we went over to another building and this is where um you know i just think there's a lot of wisdom in what you told me and i'll probably butcher uh your explanation but uh, you guys have since expanded and there are corporate offices in another building and as you're showing me them um i think it's important for everyone to hear this I said, wow, this is really nice. This is a great facility, Ryan. And you said, well, thanks. Um, it's unfortunate that these, uh, the finance folks and, and some of these corporate offices aren't located where my office is. And that is within the manufacturing facility. And I'm like, why? The, the air conditioning is fabulous in this building. Like these that smells brand new still. And you said, and I'll let you say what you told me because there's just so much wisdom in this. And then I want you to talk about this a little bit. What was your response to me? You remember that? Yeah, I I, I do need to like get a, a coined response, but yeah, it's you don't want to forget what what runs the company and it's manufacturing. I mean, and we get so wrapped up in thinking. Oh, I can go out and sell boots all day long and I'm the greatest sales. I got the greatest sales team or we've got such cool leathers and cool developments and uh, we can out design, we can out style or our customer service is the best or, you know, oh, it's so important because I'm the one paying the bills. We don't have anything if our boot makers aren't making cowboy boots. Yep. And, and so that's one of the things that my father-in-law trainer has always been specific about. I'm, you know, I'm looking across the factory right now. Carlos Rodriguez, who our operations officer runs the factory. Over there, I'm back over the left is our purchasing agent over here. Uh, I'm looking right down here in front, uh, human resource department. Over here, the other side of the factory is the marketing team. Uh, up here's uh, the, the design office side of, side of things. And then across the, anyway, so we've got offices spread out all over. So if I wanna go meet with our marketing team, I'm gonna go walk right through the factory. If I need to go meet with purchasing, I'm walking right through the factory. And so. Yeah, that was the thing that was, we just needed more customer service team. We had took over the customer services office with our production team and moved them uh, to a quieter spot where they could have, uh, they were, we had two or three deep in an office and you, you ever call one of those call centers and you can hear everybody talking in the background. Yeah. We didn't want that experience. We wanted them to have an, a, an individual com, you know, communication sure. and, and good phone call. So we needed some more space. And then our accounting team, as much as we want them to be, um, involved with the production. I mean, stay focused, eliminate distractions. Uh, they were getting all the walk-in traffic from the post office and the mailman and, and people coming in for job applications in the front office. So 
Yeah, it was uh, it was a big move that uh, I uh, and I I told him I said we're going to move you over here, but you need to get your butt over here to this factory just about every day. And so the customer service team comes in for the production meetings in the morning. The finance team comes over, and we've got regular meetings over here. So yeah, you don't ever want them to forget what's what what makes this company. So yeah, I think. I think your exact words, I'm getting closer, the more I'm like digging into my memory banks and my brain. So you, so you don't ever want people counting the money to be too far away from or too, uh, or removed too physically removed from uh, where the money is made. Like where, you know, the people where the money is counted should be very well aware of exactly where the money is made and the money is made by the people making the product. Otherwise you wouldn't have a product to sell and you wouldn't make sales. And I just think that, you know, we're so disconnected uh, as a society right now, everyone's plugged into their phones and uh, it's so easy for people to just fire off a text or an email or just pick up the phone as opposed to walking down the hall or walking from one building over to the next and having a face-to-face eye-to-eye conversation um, where you accomplish more. Like you can't build trust through a text message. You build trust in person. You know, I, I did a whole rant on another podcast episode about this. There's a company that is hiring um, a uh, director of corporate culture. And it's 100% virtual position. How can you drive culture anywhere remotely? You can't, you know, but I just thought that was a great sort of like in, you know, a micro version of what's going on on a macro level is we have so much technology, like we've taken the human out of, uh, you know, human resources. And one of the things I love, your marketing department is basically in a fishbowl. Like their office is a fishbowl. It's a back wall and then three glass windows facing no matter which way they turn at their desks, different stations uh, on the manufacturing floor. So they see exactly what's going on. And I, I think that can only help you do your job better. You see how it's made, you can tell a better story. You have actual conversations as a customer service rep with the people in production, you're gonna be a better problem solver. And that's not just uh, about cowboy boots, that's about anything. And we've gotten so far away from that, like it kills me that we weren't able to record this while I was down there. We're actually on Zoom recording, but like we, you know, it's become like the Zoom generation and, everyone texting it's so like just getting people back to face to face and being reminded of this is actually what makes the gears keep turning in our company you know it's not me typing away at an excel spreadsheet it's the people banging nails into the soles of the boots and stitching the leather and packing the boxes and loading the trucks and that goes for any company you know i uh you know, I'd love I'd love to hear your thoughts on just like h- how you kind of weave that into people's day to day and and how you you know create those reminders.
I mean, I, I, I think I'm making sure you're saying how, how do I, everybody on our team, how do we could recreate that? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. How you, how are you, um, almost forcing people to engage in more, uh, face-to-face -face communication and, and get out there and like, so, um, you know, there's an old, uh, an old management theory called management by walking around Tom Peters, you know, is famous for creating this concept of management by walking around. And, you know, I know it's something you do and you, you constantly witness the operation because of physically where you're located. How do you uh, kind of get other people up out of their desk and, you know, encourage them to, to walk around and interact as, as opposed to, you know, emails and phone calls and. Yeah, no, I guess, I guess it makes it a little easier because we're all on one campus. I mean, it, it's, we have, I mean, like tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, we've got our, what I call our juggernaut meeting, uh, which is our all staff meeting. I mean, we'll have 35, 40 people in there. Uh, I mean, at two 30 today, I had a production uh, planning meeting. I mean, we just, we meet in person a lot. We don't, I mean, uh, uh, I mean and obviously, and, you know, I, I see our IT guy sitting in Carlos's office right now, uh, probably hashing out some uh, production reports and things that they were working on. You know, so I don't know that it, 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 I don't think we ever disconnected maybe as, as much as other companies have. I mean, it, it, we're all, we've always been a little bit more hands-on and I think that's part of our culture yeah. uh, is that I don't need to email the guy right across the way, I'm going to have a one-on-one -on -one with him tomorrow. So that's a good question. I don't, I, I, I need to be more thoughtful about what it is that we're going to do to maintain that maybe because I really like how much we are in person. What I would like to do is make, get our team on the floor more actually like, I mean, it's one thing to walk through it. Yep. Another thing to stop and watch the production process, which obviously that's, it takes a, takes a little bit more time out of your day to realize all that goes into it. Um, but um, I think we've got a pretty good culture of in-person. And I think that's, I think that's part of the South Texas side of things too. We, yeah. we, we, we haven't, uh, we're, we're still a pretty uh, informal, uh, we, we, we get a lot more done um, sitting in front of each other than we do uh, on a video call. It just seems also today, uh, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, so much is done like let's create a paper trail of documentation to cover our own ass as opposed to like let's sit down and just have a real conversation yeah you know um so yeah that that's why i wanted to ask and and i i encourage anyone if you you know have multiple campuses um to to get out and travel and do your walking around on other campuses you know it's easy to to um, hide behind your cubicle or hide in your office, but like, that's not where problem solving takes place. And I think that's, I think putting yourselves in other people's um, boots, whatever you want to say, I mean, it's, it's it, I think that's, um, the, the more you can put yourselves in their position, the more you'll have a, a more empathy yeah. and sympathy for where they're coming from. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, you need to, understand the struggles of the of the leather warehouse and trying to get answers on why we're short on certain leathers and it's easy just to fire off a bunch of grumpy e emails going why can't you give me more red kid skin and you go back there and you look and you see the 7,000 square feet of 62 different kid skin colors we carry and it's like 
oh well that there's a lot to manage right here and and you start having a little bit more understanding of what the person's coming from uh, as opposed to just being a, a uh, uh, demanding an answer for or or not understanding um, what maybe goes is involved in getting an answer. Um, a great example. I have a friend who is a sales manager. He doesn't listen to the podcast, so I can go ahead and and say I have a friend who's a sales manager who does this. Um, loves to complain about his salespeople, and like they're not doing enough. They're not hitting their quota. You know, they're not they're underachieving. I'm like you're relatively new to the company. You didn't come up through the ranks there selling. Have you ever actually gone out on a sales call with one of them? Or have you tried selling this product yourself? Like, have you got crickets? And until you've actually, like you said, walked a mile in their boots, or, you know, maybe it's, you're, you're so far removed. If you're a teacher or administrator, if you're an administrator listening to this, you're so far removed from actually being in the classroom and teaching, or if you're an athletic director, because I know we have a few of them who listen, and you're so far removed from like being on the sidelines as a coach that you forget what it's like and you're complaining about what they aren't able to do. You need to get out and walk around and try walking a mile in their boots. Absolutely. Um, I think that's one of the things that we need to do a better job of getting our team out to see the retail world too, because we don't have a real understanding of what goes on in that store day in and day out. And whenever that retailer has that customer coming in upset that they can't get an answer, all of a sudden it makes it a little bit more realistic of why they're needing information from us and why our B2B needs to be better and things. Because that's when we stay in our wholesale manufacturing lane we think this is the most important world there is. We don't exist if we don't have retailers doing yeah. the hard job of day in, day out personal interaction. And so that's, you know, that's part of going out. And, and when you're on your listening side of things, you also start appreciating the hard work that goes on because it makes me realize I want nothing to do with the retail world and I'll stick in my, stay in my lane. But especially when yeah. it's, especially when it's Black Friday and I'm off enjoying a few days off for Thanksgiving and those retailers are working double time. Uh, you start appreciating it a lot more. Now you've brought some of them down to your operation to, to give them a tour as well. Talk a little bit about that because I think that is a very underutilized asset or underutilized invitation uh, within virtually any company in any industry is to do that and give people a behind the scenes, you know, uh, bird's eye view. Yeah, I mean, we've always uh, encouraged our, you know, I'd say top retailers, any retailer, and especially since we've got, you know, any retailer can get here in a matter of a 45 minute flight, Houston, Dallas area, San Antonio, or, or a you know six, seven hour drive and too bad, which sounds like a lot to some people, but um, yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, we can only, our sales reps can only show so many sample boots or show many swatches. But when you come here and you see 6,000 pairs of boots uh, running through the production process or go back there and see um, you know, $3.2 million worth of leather, and I'm not saying that to brag. I mean, it's a huge amount of leather back there. You get to see all of the different colors and things. And so it gets a whole new um, design process. And really a lot of the ones, the retailers that, They'll either come down because they want to design really unique stuff that maybe they're not seeing on the swatch set, 
or maybe they're bringing their team down for training. Uh, I mean, that's a wonderful tool. If you, if you, if you want your retailers, the kids on the floor to be experts, bring them to actually where you make it, where you distribute it. I mean, if you're not making something is bring your top customers in for training. I mean, even that'll make them good for all brands of what they're selling, but it'll create a whole new level of loyalty uh, once they've seen what you do and have a whole nother level of empathy for the different uh, the, the intricacies that go on in the manufacturing. Most of the time when a retailers leave here after their first trip, they're going, man, I used to think your boots were pretty pricey. You don't charge, charge enough. I mean, wow. how, how yep. do you make them so cheap? And so you- Think about that perspective shift, right? Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, especially especially when you're not even selling on price. We're selling on the other three things, and this is and and they're saying you should you should probably be charging more. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's I mean, and it's there's a reason why there's not a lot of footwear manufacturing in the U.S. I mean, it's a it's hard what we do, and and there's no secrets to what we do. It's what we tell people when they come is take as many videos as pictures as you want. I mean, we want you taking that back to your team because there's no secret to what we do. There's nobody wants to do it. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's hard. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, we, we love it. It gives us that time to have, uh, take them to good Mexican food, have good dinner conversations, um, you know, and just um, build that partnership, build that relationship. So it's one thing to go to their backyard, another thing to get them into your backyard. And, and I think that it just become, becomes a lot more, um, a lot stronger relationship. Yeah, if you can get them to bring their team, now you have, you know, their their sales force is way more emotionally invested in you and your brand than your competitors that they also carry, you know, and I just think there's a ton of parallels there for people in all sorts of industries, uh, wherever they're located, listening to this. Um, Ryan, what uh, what's something that... Um, I'm a bit of a contrarian, you know that. I, I love to ask people, like, what... What's something that uh, most people in your industry um, see very differently than you do? Like, how are you a contrarian in your industry? How, what do people disagree with you on? Um, well, the selling direct to consumer, I think everybody in our industry would think that we're stupid, uh, that we're going to, we're, we're a dinosaur. Um, I, I think, and this is probably more of a, the reason why we're in business isn't making boots. Uh, there, there's a lot bigger effort, a lot bigger work that's going on here. And I'd like to say that I want everybody in our in our business to have a better way of life at the end of the day. But whenever that really is the reason why, like, I mean, we're not saving lives here, right? We're making cowboy boots. And yeah. but at the same time, we're touching a lot of lives. And and it gives me a renewed passion every day when I see the the people coming out of their mold and taking on a leadership role and building with the company. And sometimes it's not even growing in a, in a senior or in a uh, title level. There's a lot of our employees here that don't want to go up in a company. They like coming in and working their eight hours and not thinking about it when they go home, but they, they want to take a lot of pride in what they do. And so seeing that, and, and then you're, you're, you're dealing with your suppliers and your retailers and, giving everybody that touches our company a better way of life. And, and that, that brings me, I mean, to the point of, I mean, that's my vocation in life. I, I thought at one time that God might be calling to be a, a, a priest, a minister. And, and I realized after a lot of prayer and, and really seeking is, is this is a ministry. 
Yeah, uh, this is this is a ministry, and I'm you know it's go out and preach the gospel and if necessary use words. Yeah, I, I mean I hope that they can see what we're building here is much bigger than boots. And I always tell our our you know our our team members out there is be a light, be a light in the industry. There's so many negative things in everything you touch. And if we can be that light that's burning strong, and especially during COVID, I mean, we were able to keep this little engine running down here and it wasn't easy. I mean, it was, you know, uh, it was keep your head down, keep pushing. There's a lot of retailers that are depending on what we're doing down here to keep yeah. their communities. Cause like you said, mom and pop operations in small little towns, they're probably one of the bigger employers in town. They're probably one of the bigger supporters to their church or to their booster clubs or FFA or 4-H. Uh, they're probably a, financially uh, supporting a lot of restaurants and businesses in there. And if they don't have good quality product to sell to their to their customers, they're out of business. And so you yeah. touch a lot of lives and then you go up the chain to the suppliers and things. So anyway, I think, I think that's a little different approach that we take than uh, it's not all about the bottom line. Yeah, my uh, coaching mentor uh, once said, uh, if you don't have a higher purpose, you're never going to win until you have a higher purpose than winning. And early on in my career, I didn't really understand what he meant by that. But as you get a little more life experience and you mature, you start to figure that out. And it's about having that higher purpose. Uh, and then when that drives you, it's interesting how success becomes a bit more of a natural byproduct of those other things that you're doing, you know? So, and, and people want to be a part of it. And I yep. think that's the thing, whenever they see that, that spirit, that energy, that, that passion that comes from this company is they want to be a part of it, whether it's a retailer wanting to buy product for us or just trying to find the right team members. It makes it a lot easier whenever they're sending you their resumes because they just, they love what we do and want to be a part of it. And, and uh, that's exciting. Yeah. And uh, if you don't know, Ryan, he has this infectious enthusiasm that I can see why people would want to be a part of what's going on there. Uh, I got to walk the floor, visit the different workstations, like from step one until like boots, get in a box and go out the door. He took me through and every single person he's on a first name basis with, he knows them all. Uh, they would stop what they were doing, introduce themselves to me, like, who am I, you know? And uh, Ryan would have a, a quick conversation with him where he could answer a question. They were problem solving with him kind of on the fly. And it was fun to watch. And that is one of the most impressive things about your culture is, uh, you know, people are comfortable having those conversations with you. You know them all. Um, there's a genuine connection there and, and there's genuine trust. And I think that's you know, one of the things I love about you guys that uh, I know that's not changing anytime soon. What, uh, it's, um, it's one of the challenges, the more you grow, the more it's harder to keep that. And I, I mean, we're up to 200 plus employees and I wish I could say that I knew everybody's name, but it's um, the more we've, the more you grow, the more you want to make sure you don't lose the focus on what's most important. And that, that you're exactly right. Everybody I met through you, as you walked me around, you knew them. So you were, uh, you had a perfect record that day, Ryan. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's interesting. Like you've heard of uh, the DuPont company, right? They make Gore-Tex fabrics, Gore-Tex. Yeah, so, um, you know, when they, uh, 
expanded beyond 150 people. They built a different building and they put 150 more people in there. And it's something called Dunbar's law. Um, you know, we're all like our brains, the way we're wired, we're only really capable of maintaining about 150 relationships in total, you know, and, you know, they're kind of like concentric circles. You have, you know, your closest five people are like your family and then uh, your immediate family. And the second circle is like your relatives. And uh, the next circle is kind of like your friends and colleagues. And it would grow outwardly by like, you know, five to 10 people. And you're only really capable of maintaining 150 at a time. And I think there's just a lot of uh, truth to that. You, and, you know, he, Dunbar, who was a sociologist, studied like uh, ancient tribes. And they found like the most successful tribes that had the least amount of like descent and, and who had the most functional villages uh, were 150 or smaller. And so it's just, uh, there's a lot behind that. And um, it's tough to navigate, that's for sure. And, you know, if you work at a big company, you know, what, you can't touch them all, but what can you influence? And start from there as you're listening to this. Uh, Ryan's packed an awful lot of wisdom and insight into, uh, you know, a 60 minute conversation that on the surface, might seem like it's about cowboy boots. It's about way more than that, but I do encourage you to uh, pick up a pair of boots, whether they're Rios or Mercedes or uh, Anderson Bean or Horsepower or Olathe. Um, Ryan, what's the best way for someone to do that? And I ask you that because I had my eye on a pair of, um, I believe they're Bison. They were the uh, Lone Star literally Texas flag uppers uh, made of bison. And there's only one place that only one retailer carried it, which I thought was interesting. And then I remembered, oh yes, it's Anderson Bean. They're, they're going to be very custom to a specific retailer. It was Texas Boot Company. And what was really cool about that was I went and got those boots and with it came a handwritten card thanking me from, from the actual retailer themselves. Um, where should someone, as they're like looking at your um, suite of products and they want to go buy themselves a pair of boots, what's the best way to navigate that process? Yeah, and I'll, and I'll tell you, I mean, I, as much as I'd love for you to get in our boots, get in a pair of boots. I mean, really, I think that'll make you realize how you feel. You feel different. You walk a little taller. You walk a little uh, a little more confident uh, whenever you've got a pair of cowboy boots on it. So people talk about Tecovis and some of these. Man, get in boots and then you can maybe work your way over to some of ours. Maybe ours isn't the right style, but don't let that don't let that keep you away. But yeah, I mean, you can go to any one of our websites, those brands that we've already said, riosubmercedes.com. And then you'll see our family of brands logos. So you can get on all of them from there. Obviously, social media, we've got a really, I'd say, strong Instagram following. On some of our pages, again, same thing. I mean, you can. My wife catches me scrolling through Instagram, and uh, she's like, "Oh, you're looking at boot porn again." I'm like, "Huh?" Because it's like all like I'm like liking and commenting on like Rio's pictures or Anderson Bean or one of your retailers tagged you in their story. You reposted it, so my wife refers to me on social media as looking at boot porn. 
which I just thought was hilarious. But um, I have to say this uh, for all my listeners. If you think like boots sound like they'd be uncomfortable, they're actually the most comfortable things I wear. And whenever I go speaking or if I'm on my feet all day doing training, whatever it is, like I'm in my Anderson Bean boots. And I don't say that because, oh, hey, I have Ryan on the podcast and I'm his official, unofficial freelance, um, self-proclaimed celebrity spokesperson slash brand ambassador. Uh, I say that because they're legitimately the most comfortable things I own. When I take them off at the end of the day, my feet feel just as good as when I put them on. I can't say that about anything else. Um, I do not own Rios or Mercedes boots. I only own Anderson Bean, but uh, they're as comfortable as a pair of sneakers to me. Uh, so you can all take that for what it's worth. I'm not shamelessly shilling for Ryan and his company um, being sincere. And, you know, I don't, uh, I don't throw praise around lightly or say that about things that uh, I don't own, use, or believe. So uh, I really love what you're doing. I love the product. It's quality. Uh, I've been in those boots forever. Um, and it's going to stay that way. What, what uh, would be one last piece of advice that just sort of synthesizes what we've talked about, you know, maybe it's um, you're, you're talking right now, let's say to a, a new leader um, is listening, or maybe it's somebody who has been in the role for a long, long time and, and really kind of needs to expand or reinvent what they're doing. What, what's the, the best piece of advice you can give someone who's listening to this right now as they're thinking like, well, where do I start with all this? Um, I'm going to say that the thing that I think impacted me most as a kid was my dad made everyone feel like they were the most important person in the room. And whenever you take that time, whether it be your retailer or a supplier or a factory manager or a purchasing is, is invest in other people. And, and you get to a point where you can only do so much personally, you can pour your effort, time and effort into making yourself as smart as possible be an expert in things. And then you get to where you can't do anymore and you need to build a team around you. And if you're that arrogant guy that thinks he can do everything better than everybody else, you're never going to have a team. I'm not the smartest guy in the room and I never will be. And I don't want to be, but I'm that guy that can attract people because I'm going to invest in them and I'm going to put the time and effort into listening. And what can I do to make them want to do what we need to do as a company? And and same thing from the retailer is that listening is, what can I do to make your job easier? How can I build you product that you're going to want to have in your store? So um, I'd, I'd say that's probably the, the greatest thing that I've learned from, from my ability to, to, to build teamwork is I, I, if I'm just focused on myself, it's never going to happen. And the interesting thing about that to me, Ryan, is it's a soft skill. Everyone's looking for like the hacks, the life hacks, the business hacks, the tricks, the tactics, the shortcuts, or, you know, what's this one technical thing that's just going to move the needle. And it's actually a soft skill. It's human relations. Yeah. But it's the software that really drives the hardware with any machinery, whether it's a business, your brain, uh, or just your interaction with people on your team. So yeah, that is, uh, that's a great place to wrap up. I want to remind everybody to uh, 
And I'll put a link to the Rios or Mercedes family of brands in the episode description so you can get in touch with them, uh, check out everything they have to offer. And um, Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. I, uh, I've always respected and admired you and I, I know how busy you are. I really appreciate you making time for us today and um, you packed an awful lot in there. So thank you. Well, John, I, I, I want to thank you. And I know your your efforts and work goes probably not as uh, appreciated as you would know. A lot of times I read your emails and, and see your posts and I'll read and think I should send something and then we get distracted and things. But, you know, you're one of those guys that's always made me feel like, I mean, I've never had anybody write, have me in a book before. And that was a, hey, it was a really cool thing, but it made me feel, made me feel smart, made me feel special. And I'm not but you made me feel that way. And then just the way you're hyping me up today too, is uh, you've got a real gift at that, that uh, ability to make people feel really special. And so I, I encourage you to keep up the good work. I know you, I know you struggle with staying up and, and trying yep. to have that energy for other people because people lean on you all the time and take, 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 take. And that reservoir gets worn down sometimes. So uh, you're in my thoughts and prayers a lot, buddy, and I'm real proud of you for all the work that you're doing and all the lives you're touching, um, and I appreciate you touching mine, so thanks for the time. Appreciate you, man. Uh, don't go anywhere. I'm going to end the recording, and then I'll uh, we can wrap up. Folks, uh, it's been the Coach Brew Podcast. I want to thank Ryan Vaughn and the Rios and Mercedes family of brands. Make sure you check out their website. And uh, if you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, share it with someone, especially this episode. Someone you think needs to hear what Ryan had to say or is, uh, you know, trying to reinvent what they're doing and maybe, um, you know, could use uh, maybe it's someone who doesn't listen very well and they need to go on a listening tour. Uh, this would be a subtle way to, to share with them. You need to get better at listening. Um, so. Thanks again, everybody. We'll catch you in the next episode. Adios. Thanks for listening to The Coach Brew Show. If you're not currently subscribed to the podcast, sign up now on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And for more information to turn your potential into performance, head on over to coachbrew.com now.